you come from Nigeria and live in a part of the country that has been hijacked by violent extremists. Life is difficult for all but hellish for women and girls. So you have made it your life's work to give them not only a better present, but also a hopeful future. And the more you succeed, the bigger your ambitions become. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. I have always been this person that uh, sits and, and think of new ideas because I think uh, all those organizations that are coming, big organizations, started small and they always have their ways by turning around the points and coming up with beautiful ideas because sometimes it's not about a competition, but it's what do we do with the situation to make it better or to, to move forward. So it's always in the, in the tradition of our organization to sit down together, brainstorm on ideas, brainstorm on projects. And then most of what we have now is donors calling for proposal to say, this is what we want, this is what we want. But we've had certain liberties where donors will have this, but then we would input our own ideas and say, but this would work better at the local level and we get the grant. So. This week, mobilizing young people, hashtag feed someone, and a tireless effort to save people from Boko Haram. Join us on a journey from Nigeria to the United States, fearlessly fighting for women and girls. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. Exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them, they are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yes. My name is Fatima Askira. I am from Nigeria. I founded uh, an organization, Borno Women Development Initiative, which is uh, a national organization based in Maiduguri. I got a nomination to participate in the IVLP program, which is the International Visitor Leadership Program with the uh, United States uh, Department. So this was really kind of great opportunity for me. Medjugorje is the capital of Borno State in Nigeria, and uh, most people would be familiar that that is where Boko Haram started. And uh, we've been within the situation for a couple of years now, and uh, we are basically supporting women and children with uh, rehabilitation, reintegration of abducted victims, especially women, young women, and. Uh, supporting with livelihood and also educational access to children. Yeah, well, so uh, part of the problem I can say in Nigeria, it's due to violent extremism because a certain group of individuals 
uh, does not agree with what is happening or what the government is doing or an ideology that they believe in. So what they do is try as much as possible to recruit a lot of young people to join the movement, which is not a, a very peaceful movement. And this is not particularly to my context, but also across the African region and particularly the Lake Chad, which have uh, caused a lot of problem. And uh, uh, in several exchanges, this has been something that keeps occurring in the different continents, Middle East and a lot of places. So violence is like something that travels really fast now. And then extremism is something to do with individuals and ideology of either religion, political movement or any other thing that uh, might be of interest to uh, many of them. So this was one of it and then when we say we are countering violent extremism it has um, different pieces of what we do so firstly we can we can actually do it through a peace building processes because usually when they say countering it 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 also sounds more like forcefully doing something in the military way or police way but also we could have soft approaches to how we engage people in the community to avoid recruitment and then also uh, to build coalitions and networks for particularly young people to participate and then of course denounce what is being sold as uh, as truth or reality which is not necessarily but then it has to be uh, a grassroots initiative and people pushing this for themselves so this is part of what i do as peace building with young people to mobilize them uh, educate them train them on particularly understanding the conflict dynamics and then what is happening but also supporting them with startups for businesses, entrepreneurship, which uh, in some of my research uh, across the, that region where I come from, the Lake Chad, uh, shows that young people are recruited because of economic uh, benefits. They are being paid or their family gets benefits in one way or the other. So uh, it would be uh, something interesting to make them dependent upon themselves rather than having them recruit just in small pennies to, to cause chaos. So this is something to do with prevention and also peace building within communities. I can say back there in my country, I wear many hearts because I also collaborate and partner with the government and I work with them as a consultant on different activities, especially relating to internally displaced persons issues. And in my organization, which is very young, though uh, around six years now, but we've managed to do a lot of uh, different pieces of work with partnership through international donors, international organizations, but also um, community mobilized resources. So we are very active on social media and then we sometimes mobilize resources and many through campaigns using hashtags and stuff like that. And then I got an, also an opportunity to work with international organizations like Search for Common Ground. So I managed a, a youth program with Search for Common Ground as a youth coordinator, where we worked on countering violent extremism in the Lake Chad region, 
bringing about five countries together to to work with young people. So that was also another opportunity that exposed me a little bit to peace building in conflict areas and also how young people were doing a lot at the grassroots level. So to me, I can say I, I became a role model to many of these young people in my community and even across the region. So it might be one of the points where I was nominated or selected to participate. Currently, we have a lot of opportunities through international fundings. They fund many different activities back there in the northeast Nigeria, especially. So we have USAID, we have the DFID, we have many others that are really coming to, to support us. So it's very easy when we go to communities and find out what those young people are particularly interested in doing and then design our programmings on maybe skill trainings or already those with skills but without capital and then we can support them with the startup either equipment or money through my different projects on the community mobilized resource where I particularly think of hashtags that are really very catchy and very uh, interesting to people. Like, for instance, in 2017, we had this project we said, uh, even though it wasn't much of an empowerment, but it was much of something for the community to feel part and also responsible to support each other. It was hashtag feed someone. So it's uh, it's an opportunity for people who really want to help but do not have much to do that to also be able to feel part of a contribution they've made. So this was a, a hashtag we thought of and we sat down as a team and discussed and we launched it. So with videos, with audios, we were able to reach a high number of people and then we gave them an account number telling them that no amount is too small for you to donate. So it was really interesting because you find people who do not really have much really contributing something little for another person to eat food so we had a budget and what we are able to give those people in that community and it was really a turning point for me because we did one in 2016 and then we re uh, we reproduced it again in 2017 so we could see a lot of alerts coming in without knowing who are those people and then one thing we do and really respect is accountability and transparency for people to know what they are putting in and how it's been spent. So we usually post out the uh, bank statements and accounts of what is coming in and what is there and then how it's been spent. And also when we go to this field to give out this food, we make uh, live coverage on Facebook Live, Twitter Live for people to know these are the category of people benefiting and then also this is where your money is going. So it's also some initiatives that makes young people really, really want to be part of the movement themselves and also want to contribute, at least to say we are doing something at that level. So, yeah.
Women and children, we can see, have always in conflict situation been uh, majorly affected. Men, of course, have been affected, but women, they are mostly the ones left behind with the children. And then, for instance, in my situation, our context is, it's, it's heartbreaking because we have a lot of orphans. We have a lot of women with their children and they have to take care of those children because uh, some of the men were either killed or have joined one movement or the other, especially from the rural communities. So it's, it's very difficult, but uh, we are happy that the situation had dropped a little bit, even though with the recent here and there attacks, which we, we've been following up, but it has reduced a little bit and people are no more being displaced uh, and we are working on resettling people back into their communities. But the majority of those people who have been relocated, of course, and resettled are women and their children. So in some way, it has really really demeaning because these women now do not have anything to fall back on but with the different support and programs we have we have been in different locations for instance my organization are currently working in many deep locations where resettlement have um, recently occurred and we are working on livelihood support and what we are making sure is that we are not doing something new to these people that would not be of marketable value where they are settling because of course, if you are, it's it's one thing to empower a person and it's another to empower him with the wrong skill where he would have the skill and he makes the things but nothing, no one buys it or, or he can't do anything with that. So we are really very careful and we are almost trying to tailor whatever it is to what these people want to do and also what is marketable within, within the community. And also because I um, work on advocacy, I try as much as possible to bring this at every meeting or every gathering where there are international organization, government, or any other person who is really a game player in this to understand that we have to make it a community-based intervention. We cannot program things from the top and assume they are working for people. So we have to go to these communities and find out from them what is working. And then one task for all of us is also to open the markets and link them up and make sure that they are not just doing these things for themselves or consuming it alone, but also how we can now uh, make them more marketable to even other people outside their space to buy. So it's difficult. Coming here, then I find out that it was a much more diverse group because we also have entrepreneurs, we have pilots, we have uh, mayors, we have political women. So it was like uh, a little bit of everyone represented. And I mean, I was really happy and glad it had this bits and pieces of different women because now it, it has opened a lot of my perspective towards how all these different women could complement and support uh, the peace and security agenda and how we can well reposition some of those programmings because to me it's also an opportunity to uh, for young women or women we are working with 
back on the field to now have access and connections and linkages to right education, to professional entrepreneurs that, that could open more doors with their connection and uh, their knowledge, their trainings, and not only limited to that, but also based on education because we have a lot of education programming for children at local level. So now it's also an opportunity to link them up with other women who are in this educational space. They might have contacts, you know, on scholarships and how better those women and children could, could get involved. So it was it was really overwhelming to see this diverse group, but I mean, it was really worth it because I, I love the whole connections. We met with this organization that are working with prison women. And this is one angle I have never thought of working with, even though I've seen a lot of uh, programming around then. But it hasn't occurred to me that we can actually do something with this women to also support their rehabilitation and uh, stuff like that. So it really opened my head. And right there in the meeting, I started thinking how we could link the rehabilitation we are doing on ground to also women in prisons to benefit because I'm sure they would be existing back there, but I haven't heard of a strong initiative or anything that have been really targeted towards those women that are in prison. And most likely some of them are not there for life imprisonment, but they are there for only a while. So how do you now instill back? the hopes that they have lost being in prisons and dealing with stigmatization in the communities. This could be something that once they are out of the prison, they wouldn't be able to integrate back into the community very well because of some of those issues. So it's, it really has been one of the things that, that really took a turn in my head to do. And we also met another group in Atlanta, the Atlanta Women Foundation. Uh, even though in my organization I've been doing uh, working with philanthropies and also working with community mobilized resource. But I understood that their own was even, the organization was even established based on those, you know, the philanthropists and also their own fundraising activities. And this has even made uh, a way for them to have bigger connections, even getting funding directly from corporate organizations, companies and other things. So. I was thinking like we don't have to depend on international donor agencies completely to fund our projects, but we can also look at our closest connections within the communities and then uh, tap from their resources and make our work uh, more sustainable or reach out to, to more groups. So at, at that point, I was really thinking of how I could just get back home and start, you know, connecting the dots between what they are doing. Because from a small organization with just 10,000 USD, they started and now they are in millions and even funding other organizations. And now they are even at a point where they don't implement directly, but look at these organizations for implementation. So, I mean, that motivates me a lot. And I've been uh, projecting my organization in the next years to be something like that, support other women organizations, support other women groups, but also uh, as a resource to mobilizing funding from from within. Mm-hmm.
It was amazing when I went to New Mexico. I mean, it was the I haven't ever thought I would be somewhere there and uh everything around there looks so much like places in Africa that I've known and right there on our arrival to Albuquerque for for a meeting I was like video calling my family members can you see this it's in the US it's not Africa and it's not somewhere you know so I mean this things do exist in a lot of places and yeah of course it's it's so warm there in 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 New Mexico the people there I I believe are diverse they also have you know the little bit of of this connection well with everyone so they were so warm and it it just felt like like home and i felt everyone should have been there to see you know the change and it's not just the the us you see on tv but also there is another side of the us that most of us don't get to see unless you're this lucky so i mean that was that was an exciting moment and and really great most people in africa and around the world are seeing the us as a bed of roses where we only get to see the beautiful part of it in movies in the news it's always the flashy part of it and you don't get to see the deep side of their problems because uh, with with the mindset i came here it's like Uh, the US is always trying to portray itself as the best and we have the best of this we do the best of this but i really appreciate the honesty when the US department did not restrict us from actually going to see the core problem that exists so to me th- this was really a, a perception changer and i've got to know a clear understanding of the US has its own problems internally that it deals with on a daily basis be it about racism be it about homelessness be it about uh people coming in immigration and other things so there there is a lot of this issues going on but also there is a lot of organizations and people trying to make this better for the people so it's brave that they let us see all these things for instance on arrival to south uh, san francisco i was like a lot of people on the streets homeless and why is it like that so we asked a lot of questions in in the different meetings we had and we understood that that was a challenge because there is also high expenses of living medical care and other things but also the US has also been on the forefront supporting other countries with aid and other things with taxpayers money and so it's like other countries my country can also be in this shoes you know we can we can deal with those problems we have in our countries internally and then the world must not even know about it because we are doing what we are doing to support it and make sure it works out for everyone so why do we always have to wait for foreign aid for us aid to do it for us when we can also do it ourselves because they are also doing it in their own bits and still being brave to also support other countries so this this changed a lot of things to me particularly because uh I've been in other places I've seen how it is but also I've never thought that the US has its own end of problems in that manner so it was really great to get to know that 
these challenges do exist, but still we're supporting what we are supporting in our own capacity to do that. So, I mean, it's also one thing I would want to use as uh, awareness creating platform and mechanism for especially young people from Africa who are always with the mindset of let's go to the U.S., let's go to, you might come to the U.S. and you don't even have food. And then this had really made me appreciate Africa in a way because uh, to be honest, we have our problems, but we also look out for each other. In African homes, you can go to one house where you find the whole generation living on the one person without a problem. So you can come into any neighborhood and have food and sleep and do stuff like that. And it was okay to do that. But here in this part of the world is more like a small family living on its own. And, you know, so it, it was really, really ringing in my head since from when I went there and saw a lot of things and was like the world would have been a better place if all of us would embrace our problems and understand that we are not the only ones dealing with that situation. So for me, it's one point of awareness to many young people that thinks just leaving your country, you're just coming to, to, to be assimilated because sometimes you can come without any skill, without anything, then you don't have the job and you end up on the street. So it's also of no benefits to, to yourself and to your family as you come. But a lot of girls do have the, the, uh, the expertise and could easily get assimilated. So, But it's not all the same. We have to really, really be careful of what choices we make. So for me, this was also really strong and, and I like it. Sitting here today and looking up to the uh, the future, I feel like uh, a lot is being done to pave the ways for us young women. And uh, initially it was more darker because uh, we hardly find those opportunities to connect. But what I've been seeing over the years is a shift between the normal rivalry of age differences between older and younger women, men and women, now we are seeing it patch up. We are seeing the collaborations. We are seeing many policies, many laws being changed to absorb more women, to also give hopes to uh, people who are really uh, optimistic and willing to join this movement. So I've really seen a shift. It is not something you could measure by numbers, but it's something you could see from the conversations that are arising at UN level at AU level, at state level, it's it's just this conversations that is burning. So, and I think I'm optimistic because I know when we start talking about it, we can start doing it. So, and what we are after is not just the talk, but walking the talk all together. So, I mean, that makes me more optimistic because even recognizing that there is a problem is a one step to solving that problem. So, that's it. Where do you want to be in 10 years? 
Well, I I I would say president of Nigeria. <laughs> yeah, I know it's 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 really a difficult uh, walk down there and sounds unrealistic too. But who knows? I mean, in in ten years, actually, I I would see myself as a mentor to many young girls back there at home, uh, especially my city where. Uh, a lot of young girls have been brutally abused, have been uh, sexually assaulted and have lost hope. So what I'm uh, looking at doing is actually building more connections around what I do and see how we could have opportunities for scholarships and support to young women, especially girls back there, that could really advance in their education and studies because I think it's one of the tools that would support that community to grow further and drop all the ideology. Because I don't know if you know this, but uh, Boko Haram translates to Western education is Haram which doesn't really connect well with what today's world is, but uh, also have abducted a lot of schoolgirls, have violated a lot of rules in schools, and this have left a lot of wounds and fears in the hearts of many. So uh, it will be an interesting point for me to see how I connect all those dots back to those girls and give them a brighter future of opportunities. Second, it's a vision for my organization because I don't, uh, I wouldn't want to be the turning point of everything, but also try and get more young people involved and see how they're able to push the organization forward, not just where I am, but also expanding it to, to other places that might be relevant and of benefit to women and girls. And because I've been also part of uh, different networks of women in peace and security at the AU level, at my country, Nigeria, at the global level with the WPS agenda, I would uh, work on seeing that more young women are actually absorbed into such networks. And we are not just building a generation of women that would just be celebrated after and then no continuity, but also giving it a sustainable pathway for young women to actually continue to, to push the work, even if we are not here personally, but then there are people who are walking the talk and also living up to that expectation. So really in 10 years, I'm seeing myself to, to be like, if they say it's Fatima Haskira, then you'll be like, yes, I know her. Yes, she's the one, you know, because she's done so much to touch the, the lives of many. So that would be a dream. Twenty-two thirty-three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name is Christopher Worst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. Twenty-two thirty-three is named for Title Twenty-two, Chapter Thirty-three of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs.
In this episode, Fatima Askira shared her story and moments from her recent U.S. IVLP program on peace and security. For more about the IVLP and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. Also, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. And of course, we strongly encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like it, leave us a review. Special thanks this week to Fatima for her story and her example. I did the interview and edited this episode. Featured music was Bitter Truth by Steve Klink, Brown by Nocturne, and Salam by Yosefa Sidibe. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagirlius. Until next time. <laughs>